Hello, everyone. This is a BPP Diversity Inclusion podcast. Thank you for joining in. This is the first episode of the DNI podcast, and it is held in honor of Black History Month. We will be analyzing topics which include the challenge of unconscious bias in social and professional contexts, achieving racial and ethnic equality in such contexts, and how conversations about these topics can be normalized moving forward. So my name is Irini Estathiu, a current LLM and LPC student, as well as a DNI ambassador at BPP based in Holborn. And the DNI podcast is led by myself and my two teammates, Mohini Kotecha and Patricia Kugun. Hi everyone, thank you for the intro Irini. Um, my name is Mohini Kotecha, also an LPC student based at the London Holborn Centre, but today I am in miserable and rainy Leicester. So thank you for joining us and I'm excited to get started. And hello as well. My name is Patricia Coogan. Um, I'm a current PGDL student at BPP. I'm really excited to um, begin this discussion and I hope it will be really interesting. So we're pleased to be joined by two wonderful guests today, Studio 4, a current trainee solicitor, Morgan Stanley, and Nathan Aline Brown, a practicing barrister specializing in criminal, public and private law. Gigi, if you could please briefly introduce yourself and your background and what Black History Month means to you. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I'm Gigi, I'm 23. And yeah, as you said, I'm a trainee solicitor at Morgan Stanley, which is an investment bank that offers a wide range of financial services to um, businesses, to government and um, individual investors as well. Um, so I'm currently based in the FID legal department where we offer legal advice services to um, the traders who are basically involved in the buying and selling of um, fixed income securities such as bonds, um, notes and so on. So I've just started, I literally started like a month and a half ago, so I'm very, very new to the legal profession. Um, I recently completed the Accelerated LPC at BPP and I graduated from the University of Leicester last year. And a bit about myself is that I um, I was born in Italy. I came here when I was about 10 years old. Um, yeah, I couldn't speak a word of English, um, which was fun. Um, so I moved to Leeds to a place called Hare Hills that is probably one of the most deprived neighbourhoods in the UK and that's where you know my interest in law kind of arose because you know obviously access to justice issues really affect people from my um, background and obviously I'm in corporate law so you're probably thinking how does that link in any way but um, I always told myself that I would do a lot of pro bono in my career which I do and even at uni I did so much pro bono so that means a lot to me and um, in terms of Black History Month and what that means to me, um, I think it's a time where we can just um, feel inspired because the fact that we're so underrepresented in many, many industries is an issue in itself and that stops you know, young Black individuals from you know, achieving their best and just to see so much representation around I think it's so, so important and not only for young people who, you know, don't learn about these amazing people that, you know, have contributed so much to society, but also to people like me. So, for example, at work, 
just through Black History Month events, I've heard from people, you know, in the firms around the world that have achieved amazing things. And, you know, for example, being the only Black person in my team, it's really important to see, you know, Black people doing so well. So, yeah, it's a time to feel inspired. You know, it's a time to learn. It's a time to um, uh, connect with people from your culture and by learning I also mean learning for everybody not just people from the black community because at school you know we don't learn a lot about black history you know all I learned about was slavery and even then it was very brief so um just to have an opportunity to learn more about um yeah again just black heritage is really important and to also engage in meaningful conversations about race is really important because Obviously, we still have a lot of issues going on now. So to be able to talk about that is so important. But yeah, I love Black History Month. Yeah. Um, Nathan, if you could also uh, introduce yourself and tell us what Black History Month means to you. Sure. So good morning, all. My name is Nathan Elaine Brown and has uh, already been set out. I am a practicing barrister in serious crime, including uh, childcare law be it public law and private law children. Um, my route to the bar is one which for me is quite unique. Um, I never set out for a career at the bar. Um, being a typical lad, um, I wanted to do other things. I had a very keen interest in playing football, um, but I guess there reaches a point in your life and certainly I did when I was 16, 17, where I needed to make a decision and that was where I wanted to go in my life, in short. And um, I took the decision to um, study um, and I didn't do law as an AS. Um, and uh, I found myself achieving more than I had expected in terms of my A-levels. And I remember a very poignant moment in my life when my business studies tutor pulled me to one side and said, look, you know, where are you going? What do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm going to study business studies because that's what I've, you know, done as an A-level and it seemed sensible for me to do that. And she said, no, 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 no. What are you really going to do with your life? And I said, well, I've just told you, I'm going to do business studies as a degree. And she goes, no, I want you to do something which is challenging, something which is going to push you further. And I don't think that business studies would. So it sort of was a setback in my mind because I started to question what she was saying in respect of my ability. But as I've looked on and, and can now look back on, um, what she was really doing is saying, look, you know, sky's the limit for you and you really need to push yourself as much as you can. And um, there will be difficulties, there will be challenges, uh, but you really can overcome them because, you know, you have the drive and ambition to do so. So I went off, studied law, um, and, um, you know, I got a 2-1, a high 2-1, um, and then I did the bar. It was then the BBC, and I'm showing my age there. And um, uh, I got, I got a uh, very competent, and so I started to think, gosh, you know, I can, I can do this. This is something that I, you know, enjoy and I want to do, and I've always enjoyed advocacy. It's always been the one thing for me that, that's really drawn me to the bar. Because you always ask that question, you know, why did you prefer to be a barrister than a solicitor? And for me, it was just the advocacy because that's what I enjoy. Um, and then um, I, I, as I said to you, I, I was called to the bar. Uh, and then at that point, I thought, gosh, 
I need a break. <laughs> so um, I wasn't ready to apply for, for pupillages. I, I wasn't ready to go that next step. And um, I then looked at what other people were doing and people already had pupillages assigned to them. And I thought, well, do you know what? I'm gonna be honest with myself, I'm not ready. I didn't feel as though my experiences at that point were, were good enough, were, were extensive enough to really put in a meaningful application. So I held back. I went in-house. I worked for three years at the London Borough of Haringey, uh, and I worked on a very well-known case called Baby P, and that really shot up my experience. Um, and then I was in a position to apply for pupillages, and I remember I, I got like nine offers. It was crazy. Um, and I had an untold amount of interviews and I really had a, a pool of, of chambers to apply to, which was good, but really hones in the point that you really need to ensure that your experience is there and that you really go out into the legal arena and, and really equip yourself. Um, and so then, yeah, since then I've been practicing uh, criminal law alongside family law um, and predominantly now my practice is I would say probably 70% family work and 30% crime. And when I do crime, it's more serious cases. Um, and, and that's my journey. A Black History Month for me, um, it's much of what um, has already been said really, but I would break it down into two clear areas for me. One is celebration and the second is education. I think it's very important that we celebrate Black History Month I think it's very important for, for Black people because it's Black History Month to feel proud um, that they can celebrate their history. I think it's very important that we look at the narrative though um, and that we ensure that the narrative is one which is one that we understand um, and that we've done our research on. Um, you may have heard the phrase his story um, being uh, his story and, and not one that necessarily is true. I think it's really important that um, when looking at the second strand, which is education, that we educate ourselves, but also others. And I, and I would endorse what's been said already, that it is important that we not only um, in, it teach ourselves, but we teach others um, and encourage others to learn about black history. Um, but it's not just black, it's of course there's other cultures. And I don't understand why it needs to be limited to Black History Month. Why, why cannot this be um, a, a focus that can happen all year round? Um, I understand the particular focus of it, uh, but for me, it's about expanding it um, beyond just a month. I don't see why it cannot be part of the national curriculum, why, why um, young children cannot learn about different cultures, not just black cultures, but Asian and ethnic minorities. So for me, there's a lot more work to be done, but I would just put it into those two clear um, aspects, one of celebration and one of the, um, the ability and uh, focus to educate others. Um, I think on that point, we can uh, move on to our first uh, kind of overarching theme, which is unconscious bias. Yeah, so, um... Um, I got a sort of definition about unconscious bias just to um, simplify it a little and um, for those listeners as well that are not sure what it is. Um, so it's when prejudice is involuntarily soaked up from the world around you, causing a person to categorize other social worlds. It's normally based on gender, race, um, even things like disabilities. Um, so my 
first question for you both is um, what barriers did you perceive and experience on your route to law and how was that influenced by unconscious bias from your own experiences? Um, and if Gigi, you could go first. Yeah, um, well, you know, as mentioned previously, I'm so new to the profession, so I probably haven't faced many barriers yet. But I think in terms of um, before that, so before I joined the profession, you know, um, it wasn't an easy journey at all from the start, um, you know, being black in general. So I didn't actually study law straight away. I um, I was going to study law, but a lot of people just, you know, kept putting me off saying, you know, it's not for you, you know, it's a very, whether it's a male dominated world or just not for black people or just not for people from, you know, low socioeconomic background. So I was, you know, I was really put off. I did do work experience in um, law firms and, you know, when you just feel like you don't belong, right? And you feel like, you know, some people might hold certain biases against you, right? You know, just being black or speaking differently to um, everybody else. So I think uh, that's how it already started when I was 16. So I actually studied software engineering for um, for a year only at Lancaster University. And then I was just like, no, I can't do this. Like, I need to do law. And I think, honestly, that was the first um, biggest barrier that I've faced at the start just you know when you don't have that representation already you know when you don't have people that look like you um you know and you have people telling you that you can't make it that's a barrier in itself and um you know some people do hold unconscious bias whether it's racial or um gender you know, which is obviously terrible for black women as well, because you have that double disadvantage. And, um, you know, you can you can see that as well, because even when I um, I attended an event actually last year with, um, well, this year actually, with, um, it was basically with other law firms and future trainees. And there was only me and this other black um, trainee. And um, before I even walked in, somebody asked the black trainee if she was a receptionist and there was literally there was no reason to think like literally no reason to think that so I think it's so obvious that you know people will hold you know again those unconscious biases and they hold stereotypes that will make them to automatically form judgments like that right and um you know again just having recently begun I've already been you know warned about all this stuff and about experiences that other black you know individuals or even black women especially have faced because of unconscious bias so whether that's you know recruitment wise or um even mentorship they always tell you about how important it is to network you know to have a mentor or sponsor but it can be really different when I mean difficult when you're so different because you know it's really hard to I guess form those really important relationships that you need to succeed because again some people might hold unconscious biases and that's something that I need to kind of you know take on point as well because even I hold unconscious biases and I need, I need to work on that you know because again that could stop me from um, you know succeeding and just moving up so I think, um, yeah, I don't really know, especially with corporate firms that are very, you know, um, masculine and not 
diverse at all you know um they do a lot of training on this kind of stuff but sometimes I wonder does this you know does it work because is it inherent you know how do we change this and this is why again black history month is so important because you know you engage in this sort of conversations and you try and find solutions to um yeah to these problems but yeah I think in terms of barriers I would say you know just trying to find role models mentors and sponsors which are the main things that you need to succeed in the corporate world I think you raised <clears throat> sorry I think you raised some really interesting points there um and I can understand why that's like almost impossible and um but yet you still got a, a training contract which I think is amazing despite all that um and the same questions for you as well Nathan well again I, I adopt everything that's been said by Gigi um I'm going to come at this issue from a slightly different perspective. Um, but what I would say is that, I think let's just be honest about this. I think we all hold to an extent some unconscious bias. Um, and I think we all have the propensity to be biased. It, it's just as has been said, inherent, um, and it's um, a fact and way of life. For me, the real crucial aspect to this is ensuring that those people that are the, what one might describe the gatekeepers, so those who are on recruitment panels, those who make um, important decisions about recruitment, equality, diversity, training, need to ensure that we've got the right mix of people within those aspects and those roles. Because for me, if you can do that, you can reduce this issue um, I don't think you can eradicate it. I think it's about managing it, training, um, being able to inform people about it, but you need the right mix of people within that. Um, I think that the difficulty we also have is that some of these um, stereotypical views and, um, and aspects of life are just simply entrenched. Like, you know, did you go to a state school, a grammar school, or private school? Um, you know, what university did you study at? Did you go to a Redbrook University? If you didn't, then you're, you know, to the bottom of the pile. Those are just aspects that have been here since, you know, Adam and Eve. And I don't think that they will probably ever go away. Um, but it's just, those are, those are not hurdles necessarily. They are just uh, ways of um, control. And I think that what we need to do is uh, loosen that control. We need to educate. It comes back to the education point in respect of Black History Month. Um, and we need to have the right people making the right decisions um, because that's what's important. If, if Black people, Asian people, people from ethnic minority, if they're not in the room, if they're not within those positions, then how are we going to effect change we are simply going to be relying upon people saying yes we're different yes you know we've changed our policy um but but that can just all be lip service um and that's the problem you see so we need to make sure that we're in the room and we're also within the mix um so that for me is important because look there's a very thin line here on this topic because on the other side of the fence with unconscious bias is discrimination and that is unlawful. Uh, and I think there's a very fine line here. And I think that there's been too many instances, too many examples 
of um, falling into uh, discrimination, not just at, you know, within the legal sector, within all sectors and walks of life, um, but, but it also begins at a very early age as well. And, and that's difficulty and that's what troubles me. So I think we need to tackle it. Uh, and we can do that by ensuring that we have the right people and the right mix of people making decisions. Um, in terms of solutions, um, I think that what would be important, for example, if so, if you uh, are looking at recruitment, let's just bring it back to law. So um, I'm on the pupilage committee in my chambers, for example. And um, when we're looking at recruitment, we, we ensure that we have a good mix of people who take pupillage interviews. Uh, we also ensure that when we're doing the sifting process, that again, it, it's a balanced mix of members of chambers. Um, and I think what we also do, not think, what I know that we do, is that we ensure that when an individual member of chambers makes a decision, we write it down. Because what, what can happen is, is if you're just simply relying upon your recollection, you may think of someone who to you was either attractive, to you that someone that stuck out to you that, that spoke well, or somebody that went to Cambridge or Oxbridge, and that's not a fair analysis of, of, the, of the interview, of the process. So what we ensure is that, you know, you write this down so it can be properly scrutinized and analyzed. So I think we need to look at different solutions. We need to ensure that people are honest to themselves you know, ask yourself the question, you know, would you feel comfortable, do you feel comfortable going to bed tonight knowing that you have done a fair piece of analysis in terms of your decision making, in terms of your recruitment process? And if you cannot sleep good, good tonight, then you know that you've not been fair and just. And so it's about saying to people, just be honest with yourself. If, if this were you, would you be content with that? And if not, what needs to be changed? I think also it's important, as I've said, to have that diversity of people going all the way up and that's the problem you see um you know many people that i speak to say that, that they're they're blocked they're, they're hampered they can only go so far up um and that's what we need to to change so those are, are for me some of the solutions because i only think that we can manage this i just don't think we can totally eradicate this issue thank you i think that was perfect because it really leads into what I'm talking about in terms of racial equality and having an authentic approach to diversity and inclusion. Um, so when I was unpacking these themes, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with someone at a law fair um, and she was a student, um, same age as me, same like process, um, but she was white and she turned to me and said, I just, it sucks that I'm an able-bodied white person and I, I thought I misheard her, I was really confused and I didn't really say anything at first. And then I said, what? And she said, yeah, no, it's just, it's so hard. I don't, I don't feel the quota. And I was so taken aback because I'd never heard anything like that. And it really got me thinking about terms of, in terms of an authentic and genuine commitment from firms and businesses to diversity and inclusion, because you don't want to have that pessimistic mindset that they're only doing it as a box checking exercise to say, okay, great, I've got one black person, one Indian person, one Asian person, we're sorted. No one can say we're not a diverse and inclusive firm, but it's really about getting underneath that surface. And I think, as you say, Nathan, it's really important in terms of recruitment to understand why someone has been hired and it's not just that checklist. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And if you have anything to add, 
please feel free. Yeah, I agree with that as well, because there's so many times when you just feel like people are just looking at you as if you're a diversity quota, you know, something like, like a token, basically. And I literally suffered with that from when I was doing my LPC in January, you know, you're in a class with people that have gone to, you know, um, the best university, you know, they're very different to you. And at the back of your mind, you always feel like you need to prove yourself that you weren't a diversity hire. And that's the same also in the firm as well. And that's why, you know, there's always that damaging, um, you know, that advice that they always give you by like, oh, you need to work three times harder. And it's just really unfair, you know, to have to do that. And I hate that. I hate having that feeling where I have to prove myself and work harder. And I think that's something that we need to, you know, work on, as you guys said. Yeah, yeah I mean, what I would add, though, is that I do think that as a student or a prospective applicant, you should push as, as much as you can eloquently your background, your characteristics, your your struggles, uh, your culture, your diversity. Because for me, I think that when you hit somebody with your own personal journey, as much as they may have these um, stereotypical views, uh, they may have a, a bias within yes. them, they will know that when you leave that room, you will have hit them. Um, and you would have hit them to an extent where they would sit back and think, gosh, like I've never heard anything like that before. I never experienced anything like that before. I didn't even know, you know, people go through those sorts of things. And so I always say to people, like, it's so easy to want to conform, to want to change how you speak, to want to, you know, fit in with the crowd. And it, 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 it frustrates me because I think, yes, I understand that you, you need to speak a certain way. You need to ensure you conduct yourself a certain way. You need to be professional. I get all that. But equally, I wouldn't dumb down who you are. You need to ensure that you bring yourself to the table because if you don't do that, then it really falls in with, the, with one of the other topics that you're not going to set yourself apart. And that, the, that's the difference for me. If you want to set yourself apart, you need to bring you. Because if, if I've interviewed you and I still don't understand who you are, then I am just simply gonna be looking at your application and think, right, two, two, pupillages, you know, marshalling, everybody's done all of that stuff. And that's how you set yourself apart. So I think coming back to the unconscious bias, I think there's so much work that needs to be done by the employers. But I do think that as a prospective applicant, you need to ensure that when you meet with these people, that you bring yourself to the table, that you leave an impression. Yeah, definitely. I really echo that strongly. And especially, I think, Gigi, what you were saying in terms of having to add that extra onus of proof, you've already gone through so much, which you hopefully have had the strength in yourself to demonstrate and then it's an extra burden of proof to say, I'm not a quota. And as you say, Nathan, it's so important to hold on to every single experience you've had to become the person you are then demonstrating in an interview. So that was really good. Thank you both for that. I think it leads on nicely to Irini's topic now. Um, yeah, I found all the topics discussed up to now uh, very interesting. And on Nathan's point about um, bringing your story to the table, uh, I really felt like it resonated with me because um, so I 
personally uh, grew up in a family of six. So I'm the sandwich child. <laughs> um, I was a very quiet kid and I started off in the arts. Um, and then I decided I wanted to turn, turn it around for myself and be more outspoken and really uh, open up uh, in general and just speak up more. Um, and I remember I told my art teacher that I would uh, go with law and I would go on to university and study law. And she said, you're gonna study law. You, you, for, for you to be a lawyer, you need to be um, outspoken. You need to be strong. Um, and it really um, put me down. So I went on to university and I didn't do well in my first year because I was constantly doubting myself and I felt quite lost. So I feel like it does come down to um, bringing your background to the table and really just um, telling people your, your story and just making people understand how um, it's made you stronger in general. Can I, can I just pick, pick you up on just one thing you said there? Because yeah. I was just listening to what you're saying. And if you think about it, your, your struggle, your, your own characteristics, that's your strength. And no one can take that away from you. So it almost, from, from your perspective, subjectively, that's going to fill all those gaps which you may have in terms of you know, your academic CV, in terms of your work experience, that those are the strengths that you're going to utilize day in and day out. And that's why I think they're important to, to, to allow the other person to understand that, you know, as you said, you've been doubted throughout your career or at an important stage of your career and it, it impacted upon you, you know, your first year. Now, if they look at your results and they say, gosh, you had a terrible first year. But if, you, but if you give the context to it, if you give that background, if you give that story and they say, well, look at where you are now, I'm in the room, then it enables them to see it from a totally different perspective. And that's why I say, you know, obviously it has to be measured and it needs to be balanced the way you deliver it. But I also think it's important that you do bring it out. Yeah, can I add on to that? Um, I grew up really, really shy as well. I really extremely shy you know I've got a twin actually and I was always known as the quiet one you know so um I'm also very introverted too which are two things again that as you say and you know not known not they're not known attributes to lawyers and I had those same things said to me as well you know how can you be a lawyer when you say quiet or oh, I thought your sister maybe would be a better lawyer than you because you know you didn't speak you say quiet so yeah, I had the same struggles as you, but, um, you know, um, over the years, I did get out of my shell. I'm still, you know, I'm still shy. I'm still, there's no, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being shy at all. And you'd be surprised that there's actually quite a lot of shy people in um, the legal field, even in the corporate world. You know, there's a lot of people that have, you know, struggled with, I mean, I wouldn't really call it a struggle, but, um you know, that are the same as us. And um, so you shouldn't feel bad about it, but definitely um, try and um, do things to help you in certain situations because there will be times when, you know, we do need to speak up. So, and I learned that when I did my work experience, my internships, because that's the only way that you can stand out, right? But um, 
yeah it's all about practice you know I did a lot of practice and um, you know in the end I actually started to enjoy doing things like advocacy because being shy that's the reason why well the main reason why I wanted to be a solicitor because I was like yeah can't be a barrister you know too shy for that but over the years I've grown so much that you know that doesn't scare me anymore even though I still want to be a solicitor so don't feel bad about it honestly because there's so many people that are actually shy we just need to find a way to kind of put that aside you know when we're doing important things but yeah yeah um I think it comes back to the biggest message about this whole um podcast which is basically just breaking out of the shell that people will put around you, where that, where whether that is based on your background, uh, race, or your ethnicity, or your gender, or anything really, it's all about breaking out of that. And I think it also matters whether people um, speak up about diversity and inclusion and really normalize the conversation and um, be confident about speaking about it. So. Um, I think it certainly will take more than just promoting it. And uh, it all comes down to being proactive and kind of integrating it and believing in its substance. Um, so I wanted to- I mean, I, to... I, I agree. Let me just pick you up with just on that one, one final point. I know you wanna move on. You talk about this shell and, you know, I always do questions and say, well, does this show even really exist? Because it's like the, the old saying, you've got a chip on your shoulder. And, you know, for many people, especially black people, um, especially those who, you know, came over in the 60s and the 70s, there, were, there was always this, this, this notion of this, this chip on your shoulder and people putting you into certain categories and boxing you off. And for a long while, and even now, you, you see it now, but you see it manifesting in different ways. Um, it's held, and I'm going to speak for Black people, it's held Black people back. It, it's marginalised them. It's um, not allowed them to um, achieve. It's not allowed them to be confident, to break out of these, you know, shells that, that supposedly ex exist. So I think it comes back to, to education, but also mindset, the mindset really is is what's key to this um there can be as much diversity equality training as as you want but if the mindset doesn't change then i think it's going to be very difficult for for people to um achieve in the way in which they should achieve because there's so much talent out there and that's what's frustrating when you see the talent that's there um it's just frustrating when you don't see people go on to achieve what they should do I would just add on to that as well. I think it's such an important point to make because it doesn't matter how many people tell you you can't do something. The only person that really matters is you saying, yes, I can. And I don't know if anyone else has felt this, but it's called, I think, imposter syndrome. So even no, that's if true. Yeah, you're in the position where you've made it. You're still there and you're like, uh oh, someone's going to realise I really shouldn't be here at any minute now. Mm. And it's just like completely breaking that down and saying, pause yes you do deserve to be here take your seat at the table and start speaking yeah because there's always going to be doubters you know I speak to judges I you know I speak to so many different people on so many different levels and they have doubters and I'm thinking god you're a senior judge and you have a doubter like how does that even happen so it's just you know just thinking gosh this is really life this is just an aspect an aspect of life and, and what occurs but you know, you're right. I think 
you really just have to just mindset. Yeah, I think I really agree on all of those points. And I think in terms of the shell, uh, I think it, it it's placed by other people on ourselves or might not be me, anyone. Uh, it's kind of imposed on you. So it, it's not something you, you place on yourself. Um, and I think it's all about breaking out of that and just showing people that you're you're that 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 shell it doesn't really define you um but um in terms of normalizing the conversation about diversity and inclusion i i actually wanted to ask you Gigi and Nathan whether you've noticed any gaps in firms and chambers in terms of uh diversity and inclusion um and if you've seen any specific initiatives uh, which you recognize for their efforts? Um, yeah, so again, because I haven't been in the profession for that long, Nathan probably has a lot more to say about this, but so far, you know, my firm is, has been, you know, very brilliant when, when it comes to, you know, diversity issues. We've got some great initiatives at the moment. And um, yeah, we engage in quite a lot of conversation about race, even before um, Black History Month, especially with everything that's going on this year. Um, and that has, again, it's normalized the conversation on race. You know, there probably will be people that are uncomfortable about it, but, you know, it is important to just to speak about it because now I feel that so many people are so comfortable talking about this stuff and, you know, um, we formed quite a lot of allies around the firm. Well, everybody's an ally now. So, and they do always talk about the importance of, yeah, allyship and just making sure that, you know, everybody um, talks about this stuff. We all understand our struggles and just have that person that might, you know, they might not understand about, you know, this, the discrimination that you might face, but they can still speak up for you, you know, and that's how you get that um, incremental change. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of, obviously the corporate world is very behind in um, a general sense, but I think just, um, especially with everything that's going on this year, we're actually going to quite, you know, a good direction. And I do, I am quite hopeful for the future, you know, to see, that there might be some change because you know obviously you want to you know I really care about social mobility and about young people so you know you don't want them to go through the same thing right so I am really hopeful that you know the corporate world is experiencing change and they are you know so um yeah Yeah, um, I mean, my view is, and, I, and I'm going to, going to be plainly blunt about it, um, I think that there are many conversations that are being had about this issue. Um, but for me, I think that the bar is still a long way off. You only have to look at the recent statistics. You know, I've done this and I've gone over it, you know, for a long while. You go back to 2013, 14, you're coming all the way up and the figures are nowhere near where they should be. I don't even have to look at the figures. I only just have to log on when I've got a hearing on Monday morning and see, you know, who's at, who's at the table or look at my diary for the last two years and see who, you know, who's at the table and who's been involved in those cases. 
to know that there is still a serious, massive issue here. I think that the conversations are being had and I think that's great, but where does that go to? What changes are being effected? What's happening on the ground is, is where my concern is. And I think that a lot of people have almost reached the point where they're tired of the conversations now because they've been happening and we're all having them, but there's no real substance and change. So for me, the conversation can be had, but it needs to be focused. It, it needs to be, yes, educational to bring people up to speed and make them more aware, but it's also about, right, what are you going to do? What's the plan of action? When are we next going to review what we've just said we're going to do over the next three months? So for me, I think that having the conversation is great, but I'm interested in the results and the changes and I've not seen it um, happen over the last few years. It, it's getting better in terms of, for example, a lot of the inns are doing equality and diversity training. There's a real focus on an emphasis on chambers in ensuring that they have an equalities um, committee in chambers and there's diversity training. That's all well and good. But, you know, when I go onto your website and I, and I look at your recruitment, and I look at the pool of people, it just doesn't marry up. So for me, there is still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I agree with uh, what you're saying. It definitely starts by integrating DNI itself within firms and within chambers and within companies and really just being proactive about it. Um, I've actually seen research which shows that um, unconscious bias affects how people are recruited and how feedback is given to people and how salary negotiations play out. Um, so I think it does come down to integrating it um, in the training process as well for professions such as barristers and solicitors. And I think it's also very important in the legal profession considering how much of a client facing role it is so it there, it, there might be unconscious bias even between a, a professional and a client or uh, and between professionals themselves so i don't know if you have anything to add to that before we uh, wrap up not directly to that but for me one of the biggest issues that i see is that there is a lack of trust there's a lack of trust between um non ethnic minorities, trusting ethnic minorities to, to, to the extent of they can do this job. They can be a competent barrister. They can be a competent solicitor. And it's the lack of trust, which I think it has emanated and has, you know, flourished over the last few years, certainly since I've been in the profession. You know, I did a... Um, I did a, a, a Zoom um, panel. I was invited onto a Zoom panel um, event and on there was Courtney Griffiths QC, who some of you may know, and he specializes in criminal defense. And what he was saying to, to one of the other members was, you know, she, she was in the CPS and she was a young black girl. She's working in CPS. And he said, well, why don't you apply to some of the traditional prosecution sets? Um, and there are loads of them in chambers because uh, in the end, because none of them, or <laughs> some, of, none of them, or, or it's rare that they have top black and ethnic minority uh, barristers prosecuting, and that and that is the issue. Because what he was saying is, is it a lack of trust? 
um, it, it can't be a lack of understanding and awareness because you're talking about some of the top sets in the country. These people are not stupid. They know what the regulations are. They, they know what they should be doing. So why is it that they're not pushing through black and Asian and ethnic minority barristers coming through the ranks? Why is that? And I, and I almost think maybe it's just a lack of trust. It's that fear. It, it's almost that fear to step out of the, you know, the comfort zone or, or the normality. So when we talk about normalizing, I think that a lot of chambers have almost become normalized in their approach, become normalized in their attitudes. And, and it's almost a fear from their end, not to branch out, not to be seen, not to be different. Um, and I think that's what needs to change. Yeah, and I think there's also, yeah, as you said, just that fear of change. You know, when you're so used to seeing people that look a certain way, act a certain way, you know, um, again, you're just scared of that. So for example, if, you know, let's say I'm um, advising, I don't know, like a commodity trader, I might go into the office, you know, and open the door and I might have that, you know, feeling in my head where that they might think, oh, um, who's this black young girl, you know, is this the lawyer that's helping me, you know? So I think when you haven't seen um, people that, look like me you know it is um it's not diff it shouldn't be difficult but it's um you know again it's just that fear of the unknown they, they don't know whether you can perform that job right and that's where um i think you just find so much wrong with everything because if you had more black people more asian people more you know so on then there wouldn't be this issue but that you know that's where it starts and it affects us as well because you know, if you have that feeling ingrained, that affects how you're gonna work and what kind of advice you give because you feel like this person already thinks, or she's gonna give me that like the worst advice ever, you know. So that affects both of your relationships. So I think again, um representation is so key and recruitment, working on that, you know, as a starting point is so important because I know, yeah, my firm might do quite a lot at the moment, but as I said earlier, the corporate world is probably one of the most behind industries in terms of diversity and inclusion. And obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done, you know, but um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I'm just very hopeful at the moment, but it's gonna take a lot of work because it's really easy to just say, oh, I'm gonna do this and that, but if you don't do it, then nothing's gonna change. So yeah, we just need more leaders that, you know, look like us to facilitate change. Yeah, and I think for, and I'm probably not going to say anything which you don't know, but I think for women as well, I mean, it's it's really difficult, um, even more difficult. And I think that's really sad because, you know, I had, um, and I think you will know Lucy Barnes, so I had her on, on my Witness Box show on Instagram and we were looking at the issue of equality uh, for women in law and, you know, when I prepare these shows, I, I do my research and I was looking at it and I was just absolutely gobsmacked with the, the lack of um, progression um, and the trajectory over the years has been nowhere near what it should be. And it's almost as if the word equality is, it's a focal point, but it's, it's something that probably will never be reached. And so, you know, when you say, right, I'm striving for equality, well, I think really we should just be striving for change and that needs to come first. Um, and I do think that 
it is difficult for, for men and women, but particularly, I think, more so for women, because within law, it's very male dominated. Um, you only have to then look at outside of barristers and solicitors, you then look at the judiciary, you look at the amount of women that are sitting as judges, it's nowhere near where it should be. Um, and we're not even talking about race here, we're just looking at gender. So there are so many different, different, different hurdles and obstacles um, that, that one needs to get through. And I think that it's going to take a real concerted effort from men, women, black, white, Asian, whatever it may be, to really get this going. Um, because I think it needs all of us. It, it cannot just be uh, black or Asian people that are, are focused on this. It needs everybody to really uh, pull in and try and make this work. Yeah, and I feel like, um, you know, as you said earlier about imposter syndrome, I feel that all the time as a black person who is also a female, again, in the corporate world. And I'm so young, you know, still have many years ahead of me hopefully and um yeah I think it's just about trying to find a way to navigate this world and that's why that's why Black History Month is so important you know even for people like me because um we need to continue to engage in these conversations because we shouldn't feel like this you know so um no but I am excited for you know Oh, what's to come for me but um and I'm also excited to be one of those people to facilitate the change so you know I love mentoring young people and um hopefully when I grow higher in the ranks I can make an even bigger difference so um yeah looking forward to the future. But I just wanted to say that it's not all doom and gloom I mean there are some really fantastic stories um within yeah, all. there course. are some really fantastic people uh, you know, there, there are black and Asian and ethnic minority people at the bar, you know, within the solicitors profession who are doing really good things. And so it's not all doom and gloom. It's, the problem is, is that it's always the minority. Um, and it's about trying to get into that majority aspect of it, really. But, yeah, I just didn't want to sound like um, <laughs> just an old grumpy barrister who, you know, just sees everything negatively because it's not it's not that there are some really good positive aspects to the profession. It's a great profession, um, to, be, to be honest. It's um, a, you know, a real achievement if you can get in and make a career and make a living out of this, because you know, if you're in it for the money, forget it. You need to enjoy the job um, to get the real benefits from it. So you know, it's not all doom and gloom, but there is still a lot of work to be done. I just, yeah, mine was a similar note. I just wanted to say, coming back to something you said at the start, it's so important to remember that Black History Month obviously should not be just a month, first of all. And second of all, you've got to remember that whilst it is important to educate yourself, it's also massively important to celebrate the richness of Black culture. And yeah, just as we wrapped up, I wanted to ask how you might tell someone, like, what would you say to someone to listen to or try to eat or do in like, trying to expand their horizons and learn more about a different culture? Well, for, for me, there is so much to embrace about the Black culture. You can embrace it through food. You can embrace it through uh, music. You can embrace it through company, um, you know, going on holidays, you know, e even just sitting at, you know, the end of a, a laptop or a device and just, just reading and researching or reading a book by a Black author. There is so much to embrace. Um, and do you know what? It's fascinating because 
when I speak to uh, people who, you know, you take first glance at them, or, you know, I've never spoken to them before. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't dare think that they would, you know, understand black culture or embrace it in, in a particular way. And then you have the conversation with them and they, you know, they leave the room and I'm like, gosh, I never expected that. I never knew that they, you know, knew about Bob Marley or they would eat jerk chicken, rice and peas, or, you know, they've been to Jamaica so many times and they know about this music and they know about that culture or that historian. And so there are so many people who do do that uh, and they do embrace it and do enjoy it, but you just don't know. And I just think it's about people literally just talking and coming out and, and almost embracing it with us and saying, do you know what, come and join us. It's almost like not in your carnival. You know, you go down to the carnival, you see so many different people, <laughs> so many different people who embracing the carnival in, in, in so many different ways. Um, and it's not just black people down there. There's so many different ethnic minorities and different cultures. There's white people down there as well. So. It's almost like, why can't we have more of these carnivals, basically? And I think that's when the world will really get to a better place. Yeah, and also you can just start reaching out to people and, you know, forming relationships because, again, we all have that habit of sticking to people that are, you know, similar to us. And you would see that everywhere, even at uni, the uni that I went to, the black people stick together, the white people stick together, Asian people stick together, international students stick together. And, you know, it's just not good like how are you going to learn about different cultures in that way and that's the same thing you know at work as well so reaching out to your um colleagues that are black or obviously don't say like oh you know I'm just reaching out to you because of black history month you know it needs to be a genuine um conversation but yeah just expanding your networks and not just sticking to the same people that you know well to your comfort zone really I think that's a really um great way to start I think uh, we've had an amazing conversation and we've raised amazing um, topics here. And I think it's, uh, we can basically wrap up on that note, really, we just brought everything together, I feel like. And I think the takeaway message should be that we should not just rely on a month like an awareness month to celebrate each other. But for anyone listening, if you want to get in touch with the DNI team, please feel free to do so over our social media links. And our guests are also happy to be contacted through social media or LinkedIn. And further to that, if anyone wants to express interest in being invited as a guest, then please get in contact with the team. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Please stay tuned for our events next month, which will be around the theme of neurodiversity. Um, we'll have an event um, called Neurodiversely Talented Lawyers with Disabilities. Um, there's going to be an amazing panel and that's going to be on the 23rd of November.